Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. We're in 2 Nephi 2 today. Yes, we did not get to it last time. As I said last time, there's so much doctrine in this chapter that to leave something is so hard for me. I have had to pick and choose, and although something may speak to you in these chapters as important, and I have not covered it, I have to rely on the spirits to tell me where to go and what to include. I feel a little bit like Mormon looking to the future and trying to decide what to include that would be the most worth. So this chapter uh, of Second Nephi has one of the longest blessings Lehi gives, and he gives it to his son Jacob, and it has the most doctrine of all the blessings. Let's go over and start in Second uh, Nephi verses 1 and 2. This is chapter 2, sorry. And now, Jacob, I speak unto you, thou art my firstborn in the days of my tribulation in the wilderness, and behold, in thy childhood thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow because of the rudeness of thy brethren. Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, thou knowest the greatness of God, and he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. So Jacob had a rough childhood. Lehi makes it clear that it was because of his older brothers, but he says something interesting at the end of his blessing. He says, but God will consecrate or make holy, your afflictions for your gain. Most of the time we hear the term that you'll be blessed for your afflictions. But he's telling Jacob, don't worry, Jacob, all these things that you're afflicted with will be for your good. It's similar to what the Lord told Joseph Smith when he said, when Joseph Smith said to the Lord, where are you, Lord, and how long will we have to suffer all these wrongs that are going, that are happening to us? And the Lord just reminds him, Joseph, even if you're asked to go through tribulation and if people accuse you of all kinds of things, if your enemies come after you and then he lists this long, long list of things that could and will happen to him, he says at the end, and this is in Doctrine and Covenants one twenty two seven, and above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. Sometimes, as in Jacob's case and in Joseph Smith's case, some of the trials and afflictions are caused from someone else's choices, and there isn't much we can do about that. But the Lord can turn around our afflictions and make them for our gain if we let him. What are some things we might gain because of our afflictions that will be for our gain? Well, here are some I thought of. We gain experience. We gain insight. We gain patience. We gain growth. We gain compassion. And we gain a testimony of that thing. Have you ever had a time when the Lord turned your affliction around for your gain? So a few years ago, I was in another ward and someone told this story about Elder Robert C. Gay of the Presidency of the Seventy. He was talking about how one of Elder Gay's business partners suffered from a challenging illness. And Elder Gay, Gay uh, shared how one afternoon he received a call from this friend who said that Boyd, Boyd K. Packer had been to his home and had given him a blessing. And this is what he said. This is, again, Elder Robert C. Gay of the Presidency of the Seventy. Here's what he said. As President Packer was leaving, he said to him, Don't come back too fast from Gethsemane. Learn the lessons there. Elder Gay quoted Elder Neal A. Maxwell, who said, If we are serious about our discipleship, Jesus will eventually request each of us to do those very things which are the most difficult for us to do. When asked what lessons he had learned from the leukemia that would eventually claim his life, Elder Maxwell said, I have learned that not shrinking is more important than not suffering. Um, again, this is um, Elder Robert C. Gay. Christ, when he entered Gethsemane, fell to the ground, sore amazed at the task put before him. 
He said, in our day, he said this of that moment in his mission, would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the Father, and I partook and finished my preparations unto the children of men. Submission, repentance, and sacrifice is the message to us from the garden. Our greatest test will be to determine if we too will partake and finish the course God lays before us. This is the underlying requirement of the first and great commandment to love God. That was Elder Robert C. Gay. I've remembered that quote to this day. Don't come back too fast from Gethsemane. Learn the lessons there. Hard as it is to live through our afflictions, there are lessons to be learned there. So let's go on. Now here in verse 4 and 5, Lehi sums up several different doctrines. The first is in verse 4, the spirit is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. The spirit is the same in every dispensation that we've had from Adam to our day. If that were not so, then miracles and revelation would cease to be. But he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who performed miracles yesterday can and will still do them today. The Lord has revealed important things to prophets yesterday and will still do that today. He does not change. He still wants to bless us the same way. It's a matter of faith to allow that to happen. Okay, here's the second thing. It is in verse 5. Men are instructed sufficiently to know good from evil because the law was given to them. So we know what we need to do. And the third thing is salvation is free. Salvation means to be saved from both physical and spiritual death. And Elder Bruce R. McConkie said this, unconditional or general salvation, that which comes by grace alone, without obedience to gospel law, consists in the mere fact of being resurrected. Conditional or individual salvation, that which comes by grace, coupled with gospel obedience, consists in receiving an inheritance in the celestial kingdom. This kind of salvation follows faith, repentance, baptism, receipt of the Holy Ghost, and continued righteousness to the end of one's mortal probation. That was Bruce R. McConkie. So that means that everyone will be saved from physical death because of Jesus Christ in the atonement. That's free. But for spiritual death, it requires just a little bit more. And he talked about that. Faith, repentance, baptism, receipt of the Holy Ghost. That would make sure, was making sure that we obey the laws and ordinances of the gospel and endure to the end. The fourth thing is in verse 6, redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah. We cannot redeem ourselves, no matter how hard we try and how good we are, we still will come short of being perfect. We need someone who is perfect to come and make up the difference between what I lack and what I need to get back to Father in Heaven. That is through Jesus Christ. Only He can redeem me. Okay, let's go on to verse 8. Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah, who layeth down his life according to the flesh, and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit, that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. Wherefore, he is the first fruits unto God, inasmuch as he shall make intercession for all the children of men, and they that believe in him shall be saved. And because of the intercession for all, all men come unto God, wherefore they stand in the presence of him to be judged of him, according to the truth and holiness which is in him. Wherefore, the ends of the law which the Holy One hath given unto the inflicting of the punishment which is affixed, which punishment, punishment that is affixed is 
affixed is in opposition to that of the happiness which is affixed to answer the ends of the atonement. What is intercession then? So the dictionary says it is the act of using your influence on behalf of someone to someone in authority. We, it says in this, in the, in verse 10, we stand in the presence of him, God, to be judged of him according to the truth and holiness, which is in him. We, the savior will stand between those who believe in him and God and use his merits, his mercy, and his grace to intercede on our behalf, on your behalf, on my behalf, if we have spent our life trying to be like him. I keep going back to a quote President Oaks said, and I'll paraphrase it. He said that the final judgment or the time when we will stand before God to be judged will not be an evaluation of good and evil things we've done. We can't just go through the motions. The things we're asked to do in obeying the laws and ordinance of the gospel are not a list of deposits we make to a heavenly account or a list we can check off to show that we have done all the things we were asked to do. It's what we have become how we have become like the Savior, how the things we've done have changed us. This is where we see grace, grace after all we can do. In the end, we do our best to remain faithful, but we have to know that we must then rely upon the Savior to take us the rest of the way, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. True to the Faith says this, Through the atonement, Jesus Christ redeems all people from the effects of the fall. All people who have ever lived on the earth and who ever will live on the earth will be resurrected and brought back into the presence of God to be judged. Through the Savior's gift of mercy and redeeming grace, we will all receive the gift of immortality and live forever in glorified resurrected bodies. Although we are redeemed unconditionally from the universal effects of the fall, we are accountable for our own sins. That was true to the faith. These things set them up then for what comes next in the blessing, and that's the fall. The plan of salvation provided for the fall. It was necessary and redemption from the fall was provided for long before the fall actually took place. Gerald Lund says this, When Adam fell, there was not a mad scramble in heaven to determine what to do to save men from the effects of the fall. We already knew. The Lord already knew. We often think harshly sometimes of Adam and Eve for the choice they made. But in the end, it was part of the plan for us to come here and be tested. Verse 11 tells us this, for it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. Then he makes a point by showing us why it's important. First, let's talk about God's purpose for this, for us on the earth. Where do you find that? Well, that's in Moses 139. For behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. So now we know God's work and glory and purpose. So Lehi then gives us an if-then situation. If there was no opposition, then righteousness would not be brought about. There would be no good or evil. And if no good or evil, or no holiness or misery, then all things would be compounded into one, meaning there would be no opposites. If no opposites, then no death or life. No death or life, then there would be no purpose in having a creation, and the whole purpose of God would be destroyed. So imagine a world where there were no opposites. Can you think of some? Everything would be the same color. There would be no love or hate. What about no sweet or sour? None of my Hershey nuggets. Everything would taste the same. What about no cold or hot, no darkness or light? 
How would we know what each of those were if we never experienced them? Though some opposites are hard when you talk about love and hate, good and evil, it's a necessary thing for us to be able to choose. The Lord wants you to choose him. I read an interesting quote, I, th I think it was Andrew Skinner, that said this, God is the author or provider of light, life, truth, joy, and good. The adversary can provide only the opposites because he takes away. He can provide darkness, death, falsehood, misery, and evil. All opposites of the above things that, uh, the, that God gives, light, life, truth, joy, and good. The devil actually provides nothing he says. He just sees to it that all who cooperate with him are devoid of the blessings that God does provide. The unrighteous might, may not be miserable according to their perspective, but they do not know real happiness. That was Andrew Skinner. Adam and Eve chose to partake of the fruit in the garden, and with that came conditions and consequences that not only affected them, but all of mankind as well. I got this from an old student manual that outlines some of the consequences. So you might want to underline these consequences. They're in verses 19 through 23, and they are put beside there as main parts of the fall. So let's start with 19. Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden. Number two, they had to work for their food, and it became hard. In verse 21, they were given time to repent. In 20 and 23, they were able to have children. In 21, all mankind are temporarily lost or separated from God. This is spiritual death. In 23, Adam and Eve would experience joy. In 23, they were able to do good. And in 23, they were able to recognize the difference between joy and misery, good and bad. The Lord was well aware of the fall and the consequences and how it would affect all of us. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, In our increasing secular society, it is as uncommon as it is unfashionable to speak of Adam and Eve or the Garden of Eden or of a fortunate fall into mortality. Nevertheless, the simple truth is that we cannot fully comprehend the atonement and the resurrection of Christ, and we will not adequately appreciate the unique purpose of his birth or his death. In other words, there's no way to truly celebrate Christmas or Easter without understanding that there was an actual Adam and Eve who fell from an actual Eden with all the consequences that fall carried with it. Thus, from the moment those first parents stepped out of the Garden of Eden, the God and Father of us all, anticipating Adam and Eve's decision, dispatched the very angels of heaven to declare to them, and down through time to us, that this entire sequence was designed for our eternal happiness. It was part of his divine plan. That was Elder Holland. So, until next time.